how to get what you need. That's a rather tempting sort of title, isn't it, my friends? We all think we have a thousand needs, but we really don't know how to get what we need. You've noticed, of course, we did not call it how to get what you want. Why not? Because many things we want would not do us good. A little child watching his father with a razor might like the way it gleams and cry out for it. But does the father give it to him? There are ever so many things we want that would do us damage. We'd all like to have a lot of money, but not all of us could handle a lot of money. We would all like to have a lot of talent, but not all of us could handle a lot of talent. Sometimes money brings pride, and so does excess talent. And then there's often some person we want to be our friend, to be all our own. Samson was like that. He said to his parents about a certain heathen woman, get her for me, she pleases me well. He wanted her, but she did him great damage. And so, my friends, we haven't called it how to get what you want, because that would not bring us good, but rather how to get what you need. Let us read a story from what we recently called the most beautiful book in the world. I'm reading from John chapter 4. And beginning at verse 43. After two days he departed to Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honour in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he'd made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill, When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was living. So he asked them the hour when he began to mend, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he'd come from Judea to Galilee. Well, here's a simple enough story of a man that had a not-so-simple problem. And will you notice what he did? He acknowledged he had a problem. He took the problem to Jesus. He received the word from Jesus that his problem was met, and he went his way believing that word and found it to be actually so. Now, there's a key word in this passage, which is a key for the problem of how to get what we need. It's the word believe. Did you notice? It says that Jesus replied to the nobleman's request, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. 
And then further down it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. And then at the close of the chapter it says, he himself believed and all his household. The key word, my friends, is believe. That's a word that occurs about a hundred times in this beautiful book of John. Chapter after chapter, we read the word believe. Faith. That is the key to life success. That is the key to receiving all that we really need. The whole Bible tries to tell us this, my friends. Do you remember the story of Israel of old? Let me turn in my Bible to the account of the Exodus, and I'm turning back to the story of what happened at the Red Sea. Do you remember how the Egyptians pursued the Israelites? And I read in Exodus 14, And verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they were in great fear. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt? You've taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? So when the Israelites saw the Egyptians, they did not believe in God or in Moses. But now I turn the page. And we read what happens next. You remember about the Red Sea, how it came back and collapsed upon the pursuing Egyptians. And in verse 30 it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did against the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, my friends, this is the natural human heart described. When they saw, they believed. Seeing is believing. That's a very worldly proverb. A Christian proverb would turn it on its head. Believing is seeing. John's Gospel, very early on, has the story of the nobleman to whom Jesus said, unless you see, you'll not believe. When we get to the end of that beautiful book, we read about Thomas who after the resurrection refused to believe that Jesus had been resurrected. And Thomas said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, unless I can thrust my hand into the wound of his side, I'll not believe. As I've already said to you, this book of John has much to say about believing, trusting as the key to receiving all that we need. In the very first chapter, we read of that simple-minded Nathaniel who believed in Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. So the key secret for getting all that we need is faith in God. A faith that is not dependent upon sight. Let's pursue this Old Testament illustration a little further about the Exodus people who when they saw the Egyptians, they did not believe. But when they saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, then they believed. Let me go a little further into chapter 15, verse 24 of Exodus. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. You remember the story? Now in the wilderness... The great multitude of people had gone three days in the wilderness and they could find no water. No water to see, no water to feel, no water to drink, no water to bring comfort. 
And because they couldn't see it, they didn't believe God could give it. But finally, God showed them a way of healing the waters. And the waters became sweet. And then they believed when they saw. Now that's a kindergarten way of believing. Let me turn to chapter 16 of Exodus and verse 2. They set out from Elam, all the congregation of the people of Israel. And the whole congregation murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and said to them, Would we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate bread to the full? You've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then you remember what happened. The Lord rained bread from heaven. And when the manna came down and they saw it, they believed. Whenever Israel saw, they believed. When they couldn't see, they no longer believed. Every page I turn here in Exodus is telling just that. God brought them then to Sinai, and they had lots of fireworks to see at Sinai. There were lightnings. There was thunder. There was a great multitude of angels on that Mount Horeb. And then came the voice of God. Signs and wonders are plenty, and the people believed till they cried out, Don't let God speak to us. You speak to us. And so after giving the Ten Commandments, God said nothing and did nothing for six weeks, and the people couldn't stand it. And after 40 days, and you remember, Moses had gone up into the mountain. The people cried out, where's Moses? We don't know what's happened to him. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to hear. Up, make us gods that we can see. And so those foolish Israelites, who always wanted to see before they could believe, they ordered Aaron to make them a molten calf that they could see and worship. The book of Numbers in the 15th chapter or rather it's a little earlier than that, chapters 13 and 14, tells us how they came to the borders of the promised land and they sent out spies. And when the spies came back, they said, we saw the great cities of the promised land and we saw the people of the cities and we saw that they were giants. And as for the towns where they lived, they were walled right up to heaven. We felt like grasshoppers. So when the Israelites saw, they could not believe. And finally, the record tells us that the majority of them died in the wilderness. Their bones bleached there. They could have gone on into the land of milk and honey had they been prepared to believe without seeing. But that they could not do. My friend, how is it with you? Must you see signs and wonders before you'll believe in Christ? Must you see miracles before you believe the promises of God? If you're really going to get what you need, that must change. Do you remember what happened to the Exodus people? Finally, a new generation came along and they came back to the borders of the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 3, it tells us that God gave them instructions that when they came to that mighty river Jordan, which was flooding and overflowing its banks, At a certain stage, the priests would enter the waters and then all the people were to follow, march into the flooding waters. It wasn't like the Red Sea. Back at the Red Sea, God had parted the Red Sea. The people had gone through on dry land. Admittedly, they had to step into it. Here the water is flooding at Jordan and God says, walk into the flood. 
and then when they walked into it. Not a great wind as of old, but in some other way. The waters made a passage for the people ransomed out of Egypt. By faith, they marched through the flooding river of Jordan and entered the promised land. Then a little later in the sixth chapter, we read about the walled city of Jericho. As the Israelites surveyed this mighty city, their hearts fainted. But the instruction came to them from God. Walk around the city seven times. And then blow the trumpets and shout a shout of victory. And when you blow the trumpets and shout the shout of victory, the walls will fall. Now, my friend, I have often thought, had I been one of those Israelites, I would have felt like saying to the Lord, Lord, let me see the walls fall. Then I can give a much better shout. But God was teaching these people who insisted on seeing before they would believe. He was teaching them that they had to believe in order to see. And so the Israelites marched around the city. They blew the trumpets of victory. They gave a shout of triumph. And then the walls fell. Is there not deep teaching in all of this for you and me? We are so prone to live by feeling, by seeing. That's how sin came in. When man refused to believe God, put out his hand and touched the fruit of the tree, the person first of Eve and then Adam, then they opened Pandora's box. That released all hell upon our world. Pain, sin, tragedy, guilt, death, all came because our first parents refused to believe. They wanted to see first. And so God has ordained it that we must dance the dance of Adam backwards. We have to believe before we can see. We must obey by faith. This should not be hard when we realise how often our feelings and our seeings have deceived us. The word of God will never deceive us. But our eyes can. Our ears can. Our feelings can. The Bible says he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Our feelings can change a dozen times a day. They're like the weather of some cities. Very changeable. But the bedrock of foundation of Christianity is not our feelings. It's the truthful word of God. And if we want to receive what we need, my friends, if we want to learn this secret, it's the secret of faith. Faith. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Thomas, you've seen and therefore you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet who believe. Now let's come back to that story of John 4. He was a man that had a problem. And I want to summarize the steps on how to get what we need. Number one, acknowledge our problem. A lot of people won't do that. A lot of people have a drinking problem and everybody else knows it but they. They refuse to acknowledge it. Well, until it is acknowledged, it can't be helped. Some of us have a problem with sensitivity. Sensitivity. 
we're too easily upset by what other people say. It's good to remember that anyone wrapped up in himself makes a very small parcel. And if we knew how little people really thought about us, we'd never be worried too much about what they think of us. It's a funny place to store your happiness in the heads of other people. It doesn't pay to be sensitive. We all are, of course, but some of us are much more so than others. We've never learnt to die to that. We need to learn, my friends. So perhaps we have to acknowledge our problem of sensitivity or our problem of pride or our problem of unbelief. Whatever the problem Whatever our great need, first of all, acknowledge it. That's what the nobleman did. Don't hide it. Don't pretend. You know, if our best friends and our wife or husband, son or daughter, brother or sister, assure us of something about ourselves, very likely it's true. Second step, take the problem to Jesus. The deepest problems of earth cannot be solved by any earthly physician or friend. The heart has needs that no human hands can bring healing or a solution for. Take the problem to Jesus. Whether it's a great sorrow, great guilt, great fear, take it to Jesus. My friends, the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. Jesus belongs to the unseen, to the eternal. Everything we see about us is changing, changeable. But with Jesus, it's not so. Everything with him is permanent. If we're with him, we're permanent. The Bible tells us in First John that everything that is of this world, the lust of the eye, pride of life and all that goes with these they pass away but he that does the will of God abides forever and so we take our problem to Jesus because Jesus is the real Jesus is the eternal he's our real environment everything else changes including ourselves then thirdly He received the word of Christ that his need was met. Remember? Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. My friends, the Bible assures us that if God withheld not his only son, but gave him freely for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? All things. We should take to Christ everything that burdens our hearts. Nothing's too great for him to bear, for he holds up worlds. Nothing that in any way concerns our peace is too small for him to notice. His eye is upon us every moment of every day. And he loves us whether we love him or not. The love of God if we could only believe it. The trouble with us is we don't really believe that God loves us. Those three words, God is love, believe they change our world. 
change our families, change our hearts, change our lives, change everything. Because he is love, we can believe him. So the third step is receive the word of Christ that our need has been met. My friends, the guarantee of that is Calvary. As we've said, if God could give Christ to die for us, he won't withhold anything from us. Paul loved the expression much more. Again and again in the Epistle of Romans, we read that expression much more. That Christ died for us much more, his life will now be for us. That where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. We have a sympathetic, compassionate elder brother who says, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Because of the cross, my friends, we can be sure that with the cross has come all else. Let me explain to you why. When our first parents sinned, they should have died immediately. The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was the threat. That was the warning. And it was fulfilled spiritually, for they died spiritually. They would have died physically had not the Son of God volunteered to one day come down as the representative of sinners and die for them. That's the meaning of the Christ event. It tells us in the second book of Corinthians, chapter 5 and verse 14, If one died for all, then all died. My friends, when Jesus died as a representative of the world, legally the whole world died. You and I have paid the price of our sins in Jesus. You know, once the law has exerted its penalty and taken the life of the criminal, there's no more it can do against him. So the law has no power over us. We're not under law anymore. It remains as a standard, but it's not a method for salvation. For Christ has died for us. And if he died for us, my friends, he'll not withhold any good thing from us. Again and again, the scripture assures us of that. We roll our burden upon the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. No good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. And when we see Christ, we want to walk as he walked. So, so far we've noticed, acknowledge the problem, take it to Jesus, receive the word of Christ that our problem has been met. Whatever you need by way of health, wisdom, power over temptation, Forgiveness, it's been given at the cross, my friends. Given at the cross. And his spiritual blessings are available immediately. Some things, the fulfilment, we will only see at the resurrection. Perfect health. But spiritual blessings, forgiveness, mercy, wisdom, they're available right now. And all the other things, we have them in Christ. They're real too, even if delayed. Now notice our last point. The nobleman went his way believing the word of Christ and in God's good time he saw the fulfilment. This is the hardest step, to believe and go one's way believing. You remember the lepers that came to Jesus? Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priests. It was as they went that they were healed. Remember the water being made into wine? 
Jesus said, fill the earthenware vessel with water. They had to fill them with water without seeing any miracle. Then, in God's good time, the water became wine. The man who had a palsied arm was asked to stretch it out. It's as he stretched it out that it became whole. So the hardest thing in life, my friends, is to confidently do our duty, believing that in God's good time, all our needs will be met. The Damascus Road experience comes to each one of us in the interval between committing our problem to Jesus and actually seeing the visible, tangible fulfilment of his promise. But we are to walk that road that time interim, trusting in the word of Christ, rejoicing it will be so, that it is so in the plan of God, though we see nothing and feel nothing. Let me apply it to the sin problem. You have great guilt? Acknowledge it. Tell Jesus it is so. Take it to him. Then hear his word. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believe it, my friends. Go your way believing. Don't look for a feeling. Don't look for anything tangible. Believe the word, and God will give you spirit, and you will know it is so. Let me read you the way one writer has summarised what we've talked about this morning. We have tried to say that our great problem is a problem of trusting without seeing, not like Israel that always wanted to see first. Let me read you this from that beautiful book, Desire of Ages. He who blessed the nobleman at Capernaum is just as desirous of blessing us. But like the afflicted father, we're often led to seek Jesus by the desire for some earthly good. And upon the granting of our request, we rest our confidence in his love. The Saviour longs to give us a greater blessing than we ask. He delays the answer to our request that he may show us the evil of our own hearts and our deep need of his grace. He desires us to renounce the selfishness that leads us to seek him. Confessing our helplessness and bitter need, we are to trust ourselves wholly to his love. The nobleman wanted to see the fulfilment of his prayer before he should believe, but he had to accept the word of Jesus that his request was heard and the blessing granted. This lesson we will have also to learn. Not because we see or feel that God hears us are we to believe. We are to trust in his promises. When we come to him in faith, every petition enters the heart of God. When we've asked for his blessing, we should believe that we receive it, thanking that we have received it. Then we're to go about our duties, assured the blessing will be realised when we need it most. There's the way, my friend, to receive all that you need, and there's no other. Will you not try it today? God bless you.